two quick shout outs before I introduce our speaker for this evening. My good colleague and friend, Dr. Scott Wrights, is in the house again, as always. And um, I didn't recognize him last time, but I do want to recognize Eric, uh, let me get his last name right. Is it Waylon? Wallen, excuse me. Eric Wallen, he is our missionary in residence. He's right now situated up there in Rockland. But Eric, stand up, let, let the folks see you. And uh, he's gonna be speaking in our chapel in about another month from now. So good to have you with us, Eric. Dr. Wrights has a, a um, it's a seminar type of a workshop class. In fact, he's very ingenious. It's an online class, but he has asked uh, his students, some of which come from the Rockland campus, some of which are from our city campus, if they would all come together tonight here so that after this chapel, you're gonna have like a seminar, is that it? A global seminar, and you are all invited. It's gonna be up on the 21st floor, so he wants you to know about that. If you are a Rockland student and you're here tonight, uh, stand up right now. I want to see all the Rockland students. Come on. Come on. Give it up for our Rockland yeah. students. Thank you. And I'm even told a few of you, any of you athletes in our athletic program? Yes. What program? Volleyball. Volleyball. Hey, we got a mean volleyball team, right? So thank you for being here with us. But thank you, everybody, for being here. So let's get this thing on. Our speaker for this afternoon is just a good buddy of mine. <laughs> I won't tell you how, no, how long I've known him, but I've known him a long time. He's been pastoring here in New York City for over 20 years plus. Uh, currently he's, I don't know how he has the time for all of this, but he's currently on the pastoral staff at CCC, Christian Cultural Center, pastored by Dr. A.R. Bernard right here in Brooklyn. He's also the executive director of an organization called Lead New York City, it's sort of a spinoff from Movement Day Org, which is a great, great venue here in the city. Uh, in his spare time, he has a, his own uh, online sermon series called Faith Breathes. He's on the uh, clergy, let me get that right. He's on the, what, what, what pocket do I have it in? Okay, here it is. Okay, nope, that's not it. Well, he's on the, uh, where, where is that? Where's Pastor Adam? What, what, what clergy? For the mayor. For the mayor, of course. Mayor de Blasio. He's on the uh, Mayor de Blasio's clergy advisory council. He does a lot of other things. He's married. He has three beautiful children. And as he says, one amazing wife. So would you give it up this evening for Pastor Adam Gerso. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for tonight. I'm so excited to be here. I office upstairs on the 17th floor. Uh, and so uh, I love Nye College. We host Youth Pastors Fellowships here quarterly on October 10th. We'll have probably 125 or so youth pastors from around the metropolitan area. If you're a youth pastor, you're in youth ministry, or an emerging leader, welcome you to come. Matter of fact, there's a brand new book put out by my friend Mark Matlock, who is here in the building all day today, and uh, Dave Kinneman, who runs the Barner Research Group called Faith for Exiles, uh, what it is for having uh, Christians are living in a Babylonian digital culture. Uh, and if you want to join us for that, it's free, and we give you dinner, uh, which for college students, that's a good thing. Somebody say amen on that. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, I have pastored in the city for 23 years at 19 years old. 
as a freshman at a school in Rhode Island, a private university on a, on a, on a leadership scholarship. God, you have the hold of my life after living a very ungodly lifestyle. My dad uh, has been pastoring in the city for 35 years. I was a pastor's kid and could not have been further from God. As a matter of fact, I, I learned that, uh, like my dad would say, uh, going to church doesn't make you a Christian like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. And, um, and so God grabbed the hold of my life, and I started a youth group at 19 years old with 18 kids. And within two and a half years, it became the largest youth group in New York City. 800 students every single Friday night. And when the New York Times wanted to find out why there was a club line around the building to get into a church on a Friday night, they found out from the New York Police Department that crime was dropping in the 83rd Precinct in Bushwick and the 104 Precinct in Ridgewood, Queens, in direct proportion to the amount of young people that were coming in the building. God's not waiting for you to turn 35 to That's right. God wants to use you. And I, I remember all the mature people, the sanctified people, the... The, the saints in the church, all the old... No, God's, God, God won't do that. Don't ever put God in the box and say he won't. Amen. He'll do it just to prove he can. Amen. And so I'm, I'm, I'm tremendously excited. I love young people. I think once you're a youth pastor, always a youth pastor. I, 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 love, youth, I love youth pastors. I love young people. I love uh, students. And I love... I love the opportunity to be here with you tonight. As a matter of fact, for all the people that, that thanked me, Andres and, and Pastor, I, I, I'm working on the 17th floor. I will come down here whenever y'all want if you invite me back, period. <laughs> and so I want to share with you a verse that God, a word that God put on my heart specifically for you. So if you have your Bibles or if it glows, that's okay too. From 2 Kings chapter 13 and beginning with verse 14, I'm going to read to you a text that I'm going to share something with you uh, that God's put on my heart for you. As you're turning there, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for every young man, every woman, every teacher, every professor. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for the plan that you have for them. Thank you that before they were born, you set them apart. You appointed them even as a prophet unto the nations. God, I thank you, God, that what they think their dreams are, your dreams for them are bigger than their dreams for themselves. You've got great things in store for them. And God, whom you call, you equip. And so we don't have to lean on our own strength. But you'll do something great through and in us, Lord, we pray. Hide your servant behind the cross, but speak so clearly to us. Tonight we pray in Jesus' name. Can you shout amen? Amen. No, no, no. That would have been I for Canada, but we in New York City. Can you shout amen? Amen. I'm not dissing none of the Canadians if there's any of y'all in the room. I'm just saying. 2 Kings chapter 13 and beginning with verse 14. Now Elisha was suffering from the illness for which he died. And Joahash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha said, Get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. Elisha put his hands, the prophet put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Armenians and Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha said, strike the ground with them. And he struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God became angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have had complete victory over Aram. Now you will only have destroyed it but a few times. Elisha died and was buried. Every time I read that, I wonder how angry he was. 
Like, literally, he gets angry and then he dies. I'm not saying it was the next moment, but I'm just saying he was angry. And why are prophets allowed to get angry? Have you ever noticed that? Yellow Bible. I'm just saying, like, pastors aren't allowed to get angry. Pastor gets angry. He, he, you know, he, he, he's messed up. Prophet John the Baptist shows up. Jesus said he's the greatest prophet, greatest person to be born up until that moment. And his opening line is, you brood of vipers. Imagine you went into your preaching class. You went, into your, you went into your pastor's office and you said, hey, I've got an opening talk for this Sunday. You bunch of snakes from Brooklyn. That only works if you're from the Bronx. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my bad. The Bronx people, the boogie down, love y'all. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country. That has nothing to do with my sermon. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the countryside every spring. And once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. And so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when the dead body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man came to life and jumped up on his feet. So, you know your Bibles? Elijah with a J. He's the prophet. He's the... Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. Say that three times fast. He's the one that shows up on the scene, tells the king, it's not going to rain unless at my word for three and a half years it doesn't rain. He's fed by ravens by the side of a brook. If you know anything about ravens, you understand they're scavenger birds. They don't even feed their own young. Yet they were commanded by God to feed the prophet and he drank from the brook because God will always provide for his people. And when the brook dried up, God had a new place for him because I'm reminded that no matter where I am and no matter how the provision has come, I'm never to be defended on the way the blessing came. I'm supposed to be dependent on the blesser who brings yeah. the blessing. Yeah. How many people sit by the side of the brook the way God has brought provision in the past, weeping when the brook dries up, complaining that the brook dried up instead of seeing the new thing God wants to do? That's why Isaiah the prophet said, see, I do a new thing. You don't perceive it. In other words, it's not that God's not doing a new thing. We're just so creatures of habit. We don't see the new thing because we're fixated on the disappointment. That's right. That's right. But in the new place, because God moves from both glory to glory and from faith to faith, every new place in God, every new level will cause God to get greater glory, but will require you more faith. And so Elijah had to leave that place, had to trust a widow who was making her last meal to say, no, 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 make a cake of bread for me first, and then God's going to make sure that he's going to provide for you throughout your whole famine. And what's amazing is not only is Elijah fed at the side of a brook, but he's the only one that can bring God glory. Now a widow and her family and anybody that came under that roof ate and was supplied for because of what the prophet did in that house and the faith of a widow. Shows up on Mount Carmel. 400 prophets of Baal, 450 other prophets, calls down fire from heaven, puts them to the sword, and then he runs from a woman. <laughs> Which is why I love when James says, Elijah, he's a man just like us, because I don't know about you, but I've got high highs and I've got low lows. I've got moments where God has used me across the globe. I've traveled to Africa 18 times in the last seven years. I've been across the globe this year. I'll put in 250,000 miles on Delta. I need to buy stock. <laughs> but there are moments where let me tell you something you can meet God on the mountaintop and live life in the valley yeah. Elijah runs after calling down fire from heaven God showing up to lick up an altar that had been drenched wet with fire that came from heaven and now a woman that threatens his life he runs up and he prays to God God kill me 
Thank God for God that doesn't answer every prayer. <laughs> some of y'all would have some friends that just wouldn't be around right now. <laughs> God knew exactly what he needed. He needed a meal. Shows up, wakes up. There's, 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 there's baking bread on hot coals. If you've ever walked by a bakery in the morning, you know how good fresh bread can smell. And God speaks to him on a mountaintop in a cave. And he's not in the fire. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the wind of typhoon force. No, no, no. He comes in a whisper because a whisper denotes intimacy. You have to be close to hear a whisper. God wanted to pull him out of his comfort zone. And he says, you're not the only one left. No, I reserve 7,000 in all Israel whose knees have not bowed down to the gods of this world. Every time the devil lies to you and tells you you're the only one serving God, I want you to remember that verse. God always has a remnant. There's always a group of people that are going to serve God and God is going to use them in whatever day and age because that's who our God is. And he tells them, you're going to go and you're going to anoint Elisha. So Elijah now anoints Elisha. And Elisha, the younger prophet, after the older prophet has mentored them, 2 Kings chapter 2, says they walk on together, the older with the younger. And Elisha, now the younger prophet, winds up doing twice as many recorded miracles as the older prophet because whenever two generations walk together, there is exponential blessing. Don't reject the fathers. Don't reject the mothers in the faith. Remember, we stand on their shoulders. And now 60 years later, Elisha's at the end of his life. Israel's backslidden once again. He's getting sick. His old age has come. And a backslidden king comes to find Elisha because Israel is under attack again. Because God will use physical circumstance to cause you to run to God. Your trouble will either cause you to run to God or from God. You see, the thing is that sometimes we're so quick to look for the exit, we can't find the lesson, so we proclaim, our, we pro prolong our trial. But this backslidden king knew well enough. Uh, I may not have it all together, and I may not really be serving the Lord, but, but I need to go find the prophet. I, I, I love the fact that even when I dig my own hole, God's still willing to get me out. <laughs> comes to the prophet. I love the fact he never has to tell the prophet what his need is. Because my Bible says even before you ask, God already knows. Amen. And so here's what the prophet tells him. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a bow and so around. Can, can I bother you for a second, man? Can you come on up here? Besides being the best dressed employee at my college. <laughs> can can y'all say amen to that? I'm just saying amen. every time Every time I see this dude, I, sometimes I just stop. I know he hates it, right? Because I just stop by his office on the way in. I just be like, yo, man, I just want to peek in. People are like sitting there. Somebody's getting counsel. Somebody's getting financial aid. Somebody's weeping and confessing their sins. I mean, all, type, all types of stuff be happening in his office. But I always remark that no matter how good I feel when I leave the house, when I walk into his office, I realize I could have dressed better too. <laughs> <laughs> He tells the king, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a bow and an arrow, and I want you to get in ready position. Can you, can you give us the bow and arrow stance? Come <laughs> on, like, oh, man. Like, really do it. Really do it. Thank you, first of all, for not pointing that at me. <laughs> no, because no, sometimes, you know, I'm just saying, like, I've asked people to come up, like, excuse me, can you help me with this? And they're like, I'm like, yo, I don't know where you come from, but that's a problem. I'm born and raised in New York, and we don't do that up in here. <laughs> Tells the king, here's what you got to do. 
take out the bow and arrow, get ready, position, because the king would have understood weaponry. He grew up in the king's palace. He understood. Oh, no, you can keep going. It's, it's cool, bro. Yeah, no, the, the whole thing, you had the, you had the taunt, like you were, you were pulling it, like you were stretching out there. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> he would have understood weaponry. He would have understood how to use a spear and a sword. He would have understood how to use a shield. He would have understood the art of war. He was, he was trained in it. He, he understood all of it. And so Elijah wanted to let the king know that here's what I want you to understand. I want you to take everything you've learned, all of your intellect, all of your creativity, all of your gifting, and I want you to get ready. Yeah, give me one more time. Get ready. I want you to get ready, but here's what I want you to do. Don't shoot. Until the prophet places his hands on the king's hands. It was a reminder, king, you can have all of the intelligence and all of the training in the world, but victory doesn't rest in your hands. The victory doesn't come until God places his hands on your hands. So I want to let you know, I want you to study to show yourself approved. I want you to add skill to your anointing. I want you to add anointing to your skill. I want you to know that God's going to use your creativity, your intellect, every teacher, every book, everything you added to your life. But at the end of the day, ask God, God, place your hands on my hands. Amen. I'll say thank you, God. I walked through doors I didn't deserve to walk through. I sit on the mayor's clergy advisory council as not only the youngest person on that council with most of the team at least 25 years older than me. But I joined it five, five years ago because when an officer was shot and killed in Brooklyn, I proceeded to officiate a funeral where the vice president, the mayor, and the governor was at and 25,000 police officers showed up outside. And when Friday night came and the family was weeping and mourning and the official funeral was going to be on Saturday morning, I got a call from the mayor's office that said, the mayor's on his way, he'll be arriving in 10 minutes, would you please meet him outside? And when I walked outside to meet the mayor and I walked him in, the minute we got to the lobby, he began to, we began to feel something different. He said, I don't understand this, this isn't anything, I understand, I don't, I don't know what this is, but there's something different up in this place. There used to be, on the, on the lobby walls, there used to be giant, giant blown up pictures of people that prayed on the floorboards before there was carpet and before there were pews and the line that wrapped around the block and the young people that were worshiping God. And when we walked down the middle aisle, he asked if I would pray with the family and with him, and I did. And as we walked back out, he stopped again in the lobby. When we walked outside, he told us, one of the people that were with him, he said, give me a business card and a pen. Flipped the business card over and said, this is my cell number. Pastor Adam, if you ever need anything, here it is. Six months later, they formed this clergy advisory council. 24 of the top clergy across New York City. I was the only non-senior pastor, senior rabbi, senior imam, senior anything. When I walked in the room, I was intimidated by the degrees. I've got an honorary doctorate of divinity. But in my junior year of college, I had the largest youth group in New York City, and I wound up leaving college, and I wound up pastoring this youth group. Pastor Hammond, I'll tell you, he was on the board of the church where I served. He knows me from when I'm a kid. 
When I walked in that room, I was intimidated. I didn't belong there. I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have the years. I didn't have, I, I didn't have any of it. I de certainly didn't have the degree. I wasn't even leading my own church. Why am I even being invited into this room? And so I stood way to the back in the corner. And then the mayor walked in the door. Looked around the room after he greeted a few people and said, Adam, why are you sitting in the back of the room? Would you please come all the way up here and come sit at my left hand? So let me tell you something. When you submit your gifts, your talents, and your abilities to God, and he places his hands on your hands, God will open up the door that no man can shut. And when your haters wonder why you're in the room, you can just eat from the blessing of God because my Bible says he prepares a table before me, even in the presence of my enemy. Even people that meant for my destruction, even people that thought I was going to give up and throw in the towel, even people that when they see me today think I'm like Tom Hanks and cast away and didn't expect me to ever show up again. The best thing you can do for the people that have been hating on you is simply eat of the blessing of God and watch them. Yeah. God will use you. God will open up doors. He will take what you learn. He will take your intellect and you say, God, I want you to place your hands on my head. And it's amazing what he'll do in your life. He'll open up doors you never thought you could have walked through. Amen. And he tells, King, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out some, some arrows and I want you to strike the ground. And I don't know what happened at this moment. I wonder if at this point the king's entourage maybe had begun to snicker, wondering why the old prophet was making him jump through hoops and shoot a, a arrow out a window. I mean, think about that. What good is shooting one arrow out a window when there's an entire army coming against you? If anything, it lets it takes away the the, 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 the the opportunity for surprise because you're letting them know you're coming. What could it possibly be that you would shoot an arrow out a window or now strike the ground without what's that gonna do for me? Which tells me that just because it's not rational doesn't mean it's not God. Oftentimes we're in meetings and services where somebody says you're believing God for your miracle, lift up your hands, and we wonder to ourselves, what good is that gonna do? What good is giving more money going to do helping me with my financial issues? Just because it doesn't make sense in the natural, don't confuse it by saying it's not God. I, I know there's a verse that says his ways, not always. His thoughts, not our thoughts. But whatever happened at that moment, the king in his lackluster, dispassionate reply strikes the ground three times. In a moment of obedience but lacks passion, he does the bare minimum and the prophet gets angry at him. You see, it wasn't the fact that he only struck the ground three times versus five or six because there was nothing precise about it. What the prophet got angry about was his lack of passion. Don't ever let a lack of passion define you. I'll tell you, when you get to a certain place in ministry or you watch leaders and you watch their life, the distinction oftentimes is not gifting because many leaders are gifted. It's not intellect because there's a lot of smart people out there. Oftentimes the differentiator is hunger. It's how bad you want it. One of my favorite verses when I'm coaching leaders around the world, I talk to them about Proverbs where it says, a laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. In other words, how bad do you want it? When I started off at 19, there were other youth pastors who knew the Bible better than me. They could sing, they could preach, they could worship. They could do all types of stuff I couldn't do. I don't even clap on beat. 
<laughs> but I wanted it. There was nobody going to outpassion me. You see, oftentimes when you're believing God, it's not the response on Mount Carmel that happens in a moment. It's a process. Too often we pray for things that we could not handle in the moment. And so we must work through the process so that God can do something in us to be able to stand up under what we've been praying for. Because had he answered your prayer, you would have been crushed by the answer. And so what we do is we overinflate the destination and we underappreciate the journey. I'm married 20 years this December to a beautiful Puerto Rican wife. And um, every time I read in the Old Testament where men had multiple wives, I'm reminded they just did not have Puerto Ricans back then. <laughs> My oldest boy is 16 years old. He's 6'1", light eyes, thinned out, plays varsity tennis. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll just say this. I'm thankful he didn't get my body type. Amen. Don't <laughs> laugh so hard. That's not funny. Um, but when he was three years old, he was on, diagnosed on the autistic spectrum because he wasn't speaking. Thirteen years ago, they didn't know a whole lot about autism. And when they diagnosed my boy, I'll tell you, it was like a punch in the gut. That doctor walked in the office, told me and my wife, your son will never be in a regular classroom. Your son will never play on a regular sports team. Your son will never travel more than but a couple of miles away from the house. Because every time we took a slight detour, he would have an emotional collapse in his brain. He could not reconcile between the way we always took and the detour. Because oftentimes when they talk about autism, it's the right and the left side of the brain not connecting. And in that moment, I began to pray, God, how could you allow this? I'm serving you. I'm living for you wholeheartedly. We've got this huge youth group. I'm going around the country preaching and sharing and then around the world with parents about believing God. These young people are coming in the doors. They're handing in their box cutters and their gang colors and they're, 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 this whole thing on, at the altar and God, gang, they're, they're showing up and you're doing something. How could you let this happen in that moment? And then there was a moment the Bible says about David that he had cried till there were no more tears to weep. I don't know if your back has ever been up against the wall like that, where that, that kind of praying doesn't, that kind of that kind of crying doesn't come from up here. It comes that there's a heaving that comes from inside of you. It comes from in your belly. It's just you don't even know what to say. There are moments where you don't know what to say, but Jesus. I'm thankful in a moment when I could not articulate my prayers that God reads tears. And I just had to choose that I'm going to believe the God who said he was faithful in spite of what I saw. And it wasn't one moment, it wasn't one altar call, it wasn't one prayer meeting, it wasn't one time where we anointed him with oil. It was a journey and we chose to strike the ground again because him who promised is faithful. Yes. Too often we give up on the precipice to a breakthrough. 
We're just about to see God show up and do something. And at the threshold of our breakthrough, we choose to throw in the towel. My brother, my sister, if you've got air still in your lungs, let me tell you something. It's too soon to quit. Whatever you're believing God for, whatever is going on in your life, whatever trouble, whatever trial, whatever circumstance, whatever promise God whispered to you in the midnight hour that has been ringing in your spirit and ringing in your heart and the enemy has told you you forfeited and you should have given up, let me tell you something, strike the ground again. My son Justin is about to be 17. 13, 14 years later, not only is he in a regular classroom, he's a National Honor Society member, the top math student in his entire grade. I told you before, not only is he playing on a regular sports team, he's played now four years on a row varsity tennis. And my boy that wasn't going to travel more than a couple of miles away from the house has been with me to Africa three times, Tokyo, Thailand, Myanmar, and around the globe with his dad. And his favorite thing to do is travel with his dad when he goes to preach. Strike the ground again. And when you're done striking it, strike it again. And when you haven't seen God quite show up the way you were expecting, strike it again. And strike it until your knuckles are bloody or God takes the breath out of your lungs. But here's what I won't do. I won't quit. I won't stop praying. I won't stop believing God. Because I've seen God over and over and over in my life do too much for me to quit. I've watched him. I've seen him. When they said he couldn't, he did it anyway. When they said he wouldn't, when they said that he, you should just throw in the towel. No, 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 no. As long as I'm still breathing, I will cry out to God. I will strike the ground until my knuckles are bloody, until he snatches the breath from my lungs. I am not of those that shrink back, but of those that believe. In a day and age where the longer you're in church, the easier it is to rationalize unbelief. We think we figured out God. We completely programmed him out of the services. We've intellectualized every piece of what he can do as if the mind of God is not far greater than the less than 10% we each of us probably use. Is he not worth Trusting. <clears throat> Last thought. The king invited him. Would you please come and help me? The king prayed. God put his hands on his hands because victory never rests on me in your hands. It's inviting God, place your hands on my hands, your mind on my mind, your ears. I don't want to hear just my thoughts. I want to hear the voice of the Lord say, this is the way walking in it. I want, to, I want to see the way you see. I need discernment. I need vision. Don't stop striking the ground. Don't let a lack of passion define you. And then we get to the end. The prophet's angry. Next verse says, and he dies. And they bury him in a ghetto cemetery. The cemetery is so ghetto that they predict every spring grave robbers are going to come to the cemetery, dig up the graves of people that were buried there with wealth for the afterlife, and rob them. I told the group Tuesday night, I was um, 
I, I was speaking at an event where Mariano Rivera was at, the great Yankee closer, and, 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 and I said, you know, New York can be rough. There are some areas in New York that are pretty ghetto. But once you're dead, we probably won't rob you. I mean, like, once, once you're dead, you're in the grave, they bury you, we pretty much leave you alone. I mean, I'm just saying, I did youth ministry in East New York, Brooklyn. My wife lived on Shepherd Avenue, Jamaica. There's a huge cemetery over there. I mean, huge miles of miles. You know what doesn't happen? Ain't nobody showing up to the graveyard talking about, I'm going to rob somebody today. So, they bury Elijah in this ghetto cemetery, which most commentators believe is probably an indication of the disdain they have for the prophet. Because the country's backslidden, and whenever a people aren't serving God, and you stand for righteousness, people are going to have an issue with it. You want to serve God and live for him, expect the haters. So, Another group of friends is about to bury their dead friend in the ghetto cemetery. And as they're approaching the grave, they see in the distance grave robbers coming to rob them. So they drop the body and they leave the dead body and run. And the dead body touches the bones of Elisha and the dead guy gets up. Talk about awkward. <laughs> I mean, think about it. This guy was dead. He gets up and he realizes, my friends were about to bury me in the ghetto cemetery. And then he's like, hey, hey, like, where are y'all going? Why'd you leave me here? Like, he doesn't seem right. He's after, and, and, I'm just saying. I thought it was a funny story, and, then I thought to myself, God, you said everything in your word is for our edification and for our teaching. Amen. What could the story possibly mean? And then the Holy Spirit just simply said to me, Adam, don't go to the grave with life left in your bones. Don't go to the grave with life left in your bones. Whatever God has called you to deliver to the earth, I'll take it with you. If you got a degree to get, go get it. You got a book to write, go write it. You got a sermon to preach, go preach it. You got a song to sing, go sing it. You got a business to start, go start it. What would you choose to do if you knew you could not fail? How often has fear robbed the destiny and promise of someone who took to the grave what God had impregnated them with. My brother, my sister, don't go to the grave with life left in your bones. Give everything to this world and the earth that God has put inside of you. You stand up on your feet for me. Would you bow your heads right now? In a moment, we're going to sing together. But before we do, with your head.
heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would. Would you simply open up your palms toward God? Symbolic of surrender. God, place your hands on my hands. Your thoughts on my thoughts. Your sight on my sight. Your mouth on my mouth, God. I wonder, I wonder if in this room, some of you that have had a dream, a vision, maybe some of you just felt it in the quietness of your heart. You knew God wanted to do something great, and then the thought right after that was not you, he'll choose somebody else. I can't tell you how many times, I can't tell you how many times God has spoken to me and said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to use you to do that. And the next thought was the lie of the enemy. He said, he'll choose somebody else. He'll choose somebody smarter. He'll choose somebody better. He'll choose somebody that comes from a, a better pedigree, a, a, a better lineage. He'll, he'll choose somebody that doesn't have the same faults as you. And then I had to be reminded, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. Where your human strength ends, that's where my power begins. And you're in this room and you want to say to God, God, today, afresh and anew, every dream, every book, every degree, every sermon, every song, every business, everything you have put inside of me, I will deliver to the earth and I will not let fear rob me. If that's you, I want you to lift up both your hands to your God as high as you can. And I want you to open up your mouth and I want you to begin to praise your God for all that he is.
somebody needs to know tonight. Don't, don't give up on God. Cause he'll never give up on you. Oh, don't give up on God. He's looking down on you right now.